So we'd like to wish everybody a happy new year. 2018 is officially here. Officially. Have, yes. Do you have any resolutions yourself? Uh, you know, I, honestly, I haven't really thought about it. I hadn't uh, thought about it, really. How about yourself? Yeah, I mean, I post to Facebook in my New Year's message. I kind of want to focus on my own personal relationships this year, given the fact that last year I was so focused on the campaign and just being in the trenches. It was nonstop, seven days a week with hardly any sleep, really no time for a social life or uh, maintaining those relationships. And I think it's important to have that balance to keep you grounded. And so I, I definitely want to focus on that this year, and hopefully I can strike that balance. Right. Yeah, that's that's a good, that's a good thing to look on to to look forward to to work on. Yeah, absolutely. It's all about I think yeah. being uh, well rounded. I think uh, that helps us in all aspects of life. Right. Sometimes we feel yeah. like we're you know we're neglecting work by focusing too much on the social side or vice versa. Um, but I think that you excel, you prosper in everything when you have the right balance. You don't want to OD in in any one particular area. Yeah, for sure. This is the best podcast ever, as we call it. No gimmicks needed. You know, it's Mike Scala and Jaylon Carter just talking. We had a very good yeah. episode last time about uh, Dirty Game, we called it, uh, talking about dirty politics, a general election in the New York City Council that I was involved in, and you yourself and many others, uh, South Queens, et cetera. Uh, I thought that was right, a good conversation, right. and I thought we could uh, continue that here uh, on this episode. I did want to bring up something that I came across recently. I think it's, it's somewhat related to what we talked about last time, but there's a book that is out there called Are Italians White? How Race is Made in America. And I recently discovered that I mentioned in this book, which I found quite interesting. So I got myself oh, a copy of now. it. I uh, took a look at it. And apparently this is how it came about. In 2002, it was actually the day that my father died, there was a conversation planned, a talk in Lower Manhattan, I think it was NYU or somewhere around there, um, called Italian Americans in Hip Hop. And it was something that I had committed to attend, and despite the fact that my father had just passed that morning, uh, I didn't want to miss it. And so I did go, and I, <laughs> I apologized when I was there for being a little out of it that day uh, for obvious reasons. Right. But I was there nonetheless, and I actually sat right next to uh, Questlove from The Roots. It was a very, very good conversation, uh, I thought. And I met uh, several people, several artists. Uh, one in particular, his name was Manifest. He ended up contributing to this book. And he, okay. he himself is an Italian-American uh, artist. Um, and he talked about his story uh, growing up in New York City and in hip-hop and... Uh, the book, on the whole, is about the Italian-American experience, how Italians you know, settled in the country, they weren't initially uh, embraced by the Americans who were here previously, et cetera, uh, and how they uh, would you know, try to assimilate. And part of it touched on how uh, they, they tried to, uh, in many cases, distance themselves from the black people here because they wanted to show that you know, they quote-unquote made it and they could be you know, accepted as white Americans. A lot of people had that mentality in those days. Right. And, um, yeah, and a lot, of, a lot of other groups did the same thing. Right, right. And so you know, a lot of the book talks about that. And uh, in this one particular part of the book uh, that this, this, this guy Manifest contributed, uh, he talks about his own experience and he says that not everyone in, uh, in Italian America um, 
uh, had that mentality. And he talked about some of the hip-hop artists, and he mentioned me. He said Paizon is one example of, of people who did the opposite and who kind of embraced uh, black culture. So I was kind of used as an example for why uh, Italians might not be considered so white or, or as a kind of a counterexample to, to, to Italian-American whiteness, which I found interesting. Ah, okay. All right. And was there a conclusion in this book? Like, um... Uh, no, it's really it more left of a, up to the reader. More of a discussion, yes. It's, it's more of a discussion. I, I honestly didn't read the, the entire book yet, uh, but from what I what I see, it's not a it's not a yes no. It's you know it's it's there's this and there's that, and you can draw your own conclusions. Right. Yeah. I actually I remember um, you going to that um, to that meeting. I remember that. Yeah. Because you met a couple of other people out there. I think it was. Um, uh, Vinnie Paz was out there, right? Um, yeah, I remember. I remember you going to that meeting. It's pretty interesting that you end up in a, a a book based off of going there. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't realize this until recently. I somehow stumbled upon this, and I said, "Oh, wow!" Well, While this campaign is going on, and they're saying, "Is Mike Scala a racist?" Uh, I'm, I'm actually, you know, cited in the book for why Italians might not be so white. I just thought that was kind of fascinating. Right, exactly. So, well, you must be famous. You got to you got to sign some copies now. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, anyway, on the topic of dirty campaigning, we did mention in the last episode, uh, or at least we alluded to the primary, and we talked about Halal Sheikh, the uh, second place finisher in the Democratic primary for city council. Right. Standing next right. to Eric and endorsing him and all that stuff that that uh, ensued. I did right. want to talk about the primary this time. He said that that was a whole topic for another podcast, and I think it is because a lot of the dirty games uh, happened during that primary, um, mm. in particular with with lawsuits. I mean, with you know, with litigation. I was sued for the first time in my life personally. I'm an attorney. I've been to court. I've defended people in court. I've represented plaintiffs in court, but I was never dragged into court. Uh, as a defendant personally, there was actually a lawsuit, Sheik v. Scala and the Board of Elections uh, last year. I mean, and I was accused of criminal activity, falsely. So, right. you know, we talked about the, the name calling. They're saying um, racist and they're calling me all these dirty names and whatever. You know, that's that's one thing. But in the primary, I was actually accused of being a criminal or doing criminal things all for the sake of right. trying to derail our campaign and kick me off the ballot. Now, you want to talk about dirty campaigning. I think that exemplifies it. And and just so people understand what you're talking about, what was the charge against you? They said it was fraud. That they were suing you for? Fraud. Right. For camp signatures. Yeah, uh, I guess. They didn't really substantiate uh, what it was. It was kind of a kitchen sink lawsuit. So to kind of uh, lay this all out... Uh, the way to make a ballot, so when you're running for office uh, in New York, mm-hmm. you've got to collect signatures uh, to make the ballot. And if you're running as a Democrat, you've got to collect signatures of registered and enrolled uh, Democrats in your district. And there's a certain number that right. you have to get uh, to qualify for the ballot. And what happens is once you submit your signatures, opponents have the right to review them and file uh, complaints to say that you don't have enough valid signatures. Which is fine. Right. I mean, if someone actually doesn't have the signatures, then they shouldn't make the ballot. I get that. But all too often, I think, this is this is abused. And, and people use it to try to kick people off the ballot who uh, really should make the ballot or 
to make them use up their resources defending these actions. Uh, uh, you know, instead of actually campaigning, they want you to spend your money hiring lawyers and 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 you know going through all that. Right. Yeah. And and we um, we were aware of that before, even when we ran the previous campaign, um, that that was a possibility that some people do that. Well, and I, I do think that's. Go ahead. Now, I was going to say, I do think that is a, a dirty tactic in that when the motivation is to to do it to make people spend their money. Right. Um, because, you know, the donations to the campaign were for, uh, for from voters. And so if you if you're suing people just to make them spend money on lawyers in a frivolous lawsuit, then you're kind of trying to take away the voice of the the voters who donated to that campaign. Sure, Just especially for nonsense. If you're able to successfully knock them off the ballot and they actually did have the signatures, but you got them on a technicality or because they weren't able to hire a good enough lawyer to defend against whatever charge that you know was was out there. Um Right. But you mentioned uh, last time we were aware of this. This is a funny story. I don't even know if I should be telling this, uh but I will. One of the lawyers from the Democratic Party uh, that, that I met with uh, this past year said that they tried to knock us off. or, or they, they looked at our signatures in 2012 to see if they can get us off, uh, but we had them, so they didn't bother uh, you know, pursuing that. So I kind of laughed. They, they, they were kind of giving me props, like, like hey, like, you, know, you actually had your stuff together. You were able to get enough signatures, uh, but we definitely did take a, take a look at that. And honestly, that's all good. Because I think you should look at your opponent's uh, signatures. You should do your due diligence and see if they really did qualify for the ballot. But if they did qualify, right. then don't pursue a frivolous case. And that's what happened uh, this time with us in this city council race, where the first thing they did was they filed specifications with the Board of Elections, which means after we submit our petitions with the signatures to the Board of Elections, they took a look at them, you know, they made copies, they went through them line by line, whatever, and then they submitted their objections and they said, you know, on, on this page, this, you know, these are no good, on this page, these are no good, et cetera, to try to say to the Board of Elections, we actually don't have enough. Now, this is after the Board of Elections found our petitions to be presumptively valid. So you need 450 right. to qualify. They said, yeah, you have, you know, uh, well uh, above that, you're on the ballot. Uh, they came back and said, no, these are our objections. Uh, they, you know, they actually have, and and the number that they allege was so low. I mean, it was it was it might have been like two hundred something good ones they were conceding. Um, the board of elections came back and said, no, actually, based upon what was submitted, there are over a thousand good ones here, uh, out of the four hundred and fifty that are needed. So there was a hearing right. then at the board of elections, and it was a very quick hearing. Uh, actually, our friend Paul Rosenberg came to to deliver the oral argument uh, on our behalf. It was, it was his first ever oral argument. He was a little nervous about it. Uh, but I said he shouldn't be too nervous because they already ruled that we had over a 1,000. So, you know, this is pretty much a formality unless they're able to somehow uh, come up with some argument that we're not anticipating. But we know we have the signatures, so, you know, <laughs> this is pretty much a waste of time. But um, he... So, so we, we all showed up. I was there. The campaign manager, Andre, was there. Uh, Paul, the lawyer, was there. And... No one on uh, Halal Sheikh or their object, you know, their objector, no one on their side showed up at all. So we stand there before the Board of Elections and, you know, the commissioners. It's just like a formal hearing. And they say, you know, appearances uh, for Scala, yes. Appearances for the objector, no. 
uh, you know, a motion to move the clerk's report, which the clerk's report had was the preliminary finding that we had enough signatures. Okay, they all voted aye. The clerk's report is, is moved, accepted. Scala will appear on the ballot. Uh, so they didn't even show up to the hearing. They was just, you know, they just let it go through. Uh, we made the ballot at that point with over a thousand signatures. You would think that that would end it, but it didn't. They then right. challenged the Board of Elections ruling in Queen's Supreme Court, and the way they did it was even before this Board of Elections hearing, they taped a lawsuit to my door at my house, um, which you're allowed to do because. These things are so time sensitive that you are actually allowed to file a lawsuit just in case the hearing doesn't go your way. Um, so that's fine, except for the fact that when the Board of Elections decided we had over a thousand signatures out of 450, you would think at that point they would withdraw their lawsuit, uh, but they didn't. They, right. they kept it going. So, so now they're challenging. They doubled down. Yeah, yeah, they doubled down and they're challenging the Board of Elections uh, ruling in state Supreme Court. Now, the way this all works is there are certain things that the Board of Elections won't uh, rule on, fraud being one of them. So if you want to allege that the person doesn't have enough signatures, like this person is, uh, is not a Democrat, this person moved, you can't read this person's name, you know, whatever you want to say, the Board of Elections will look at that. But if you're going to argue something more sinister, like fraud, you actually have to go to court uh, for that. And so that was the avenue right. that they then took uh, because, you know, okay. the, the first <laughs> the first thing didn't work. So now let's try this this fraud, uh, uh, you know, uh, attack. Um, I should mention, by the way, even before the lawsuit, before we had to go to court, I took time myself to go to the Board of Elections and print out voter registration cards of all of the Democrats who signed our petitions, uh, who they said were not actual Democrats in the district, to prove that they were. So I had a huge stack of you know, probably you know a thousand pages or whatever of all these voter registration cards, and I had a whole chart that. So this took hours of obviously of my time to put together. Um, right, you're trying to be prepared. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we didn't need it at the Board of Elections because, like I said, they didn't even show up to try to argue the case. So it was like you know thirty seconds was over, but I then carry this over to the uh, the court when it actually went to court. And I showed up on the first day. I didn't hire a lawyer because I am a lawyer and this is such a frivolous lawsuit. They alleged fraud and it was really a kitchen sink lawsuit in that they put everything in there that you could possibly put in. Uh, and nothing, none of it was true. Like they petitioned before the, the earliest date you're allowed to petition. They petitioned after the last date you're allowed to petition. Mike, you know, Michael Scala doesn't adequately describe the candidate. That's not his real address. Um, you know, whatever, like any possible objection they alleged right. with nothing to substantiate. It wasn't like, you know, like look at page three and four. Aha, uh -huh, this is what we're talking about. No, it's just he should be kicked off the ballot because of every possible reason someone could be kicked off a ballot. You know what I mean? Um, right. So, and how do you even defend against such a lawsuit? Because there's nothing, there are no facts that they're actually uh, alleging. The only thing that they did that, that had any substance, which was actually handwritten and attached to their lawsuit, which said that the, uh, the county of Queens was not uh, sufficiently described on the petition and therefore the candidate uh, should be knocked off the ballot. The petition should be held invalid. Uh, so I prepared a whole uh, legal response to that as well, saying, look, number one, 
the County of Queens actually did appear 10 times, in fact, on each sheet because we pre-printed the county section when someone fills out their address and we put Queens, Queens, right. Queens, Queens. You know, so Queens was actually on there 10 times. It wasn't um, like at the top of it, but it was still on the sheet 10 times. And then I cited case law where it said that you actually don't have to specify a whole lot. You just have to describe the office being sought in such a way that a reasonable person would know what office you're talking about. And uh, we did that. It was member of the New York City Council for the 32nd District of New York City. It was, you know, it was very specific. It doesn't have to say, right. Queen, uh, you know, Queens, New York, in there. Um, you know, there was a case that uh, that stood for the notion that if the candidate's own address is specific enough and, and identifies clearly where the person lives in the district, uh, even that is good enough to to help define the district. Because, you know, when you read the sheet, oh, this person lives in Howard Beach. Okay, I know what this you're talking. You're talking about the one in Howard Beach. I get it. You know what I mean? Uh, so the, right. the, the the law on that is, is not very strict, as long as, you know, like I said, a reasonable person can understand what district you're talking about. And that was clearly defined. So, so I had a whole legal argument in response to that bogus argument of theirs. Um, all right. Right. So you were ready to go. I was ready to go. Uh, we go to court. Now, mind you, this lawsuit was taped to my door. And this is something called uh, nail and mail. They also mailed me a copy. And that's a, a lawful form of service. You, you can tape it to someone's door and mail them a copy of the lawsuit. So that happened. We get there the first day. Now, I wasn't the only one sued. It was I was a defendant. William Ruiz was a defendant, the other Democratic primary opponent, and the Board of Elections right. was also named as a defendant because they're saying that the Board of Elections got it wrong uh, for, for putting me on the ballot and putting him on the ballot, uh, Ruiz. So I'm called up first. I go before the judge. And first of all, I'm sitting there. Um, the first calendar call, like when they first call the cases, no one shows up on their side. I, you know, I'm there. I'm, I'm ready to go. I got the paperwork. I got everything with me. No one, you know, Halal Sheik doesn't show up. A lawyer for Halal Sheik doesn't show up. No one shows up. Second calendar call, same thing. They give him a third call, and a lawyer shows up, a guy by the name of Neil Grimaldi. And he says, I'm here on behalf of Halal Sheik or whoever. <laughs> He's like, or whoever. And, uh, oh, he really said who or whoever? Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, okay. Now, if you know anything about this guy, some people listening may find that name familiar this is a character i encourage everybody to google the name neil grimaldi he ran for president in 2016 um saying that this this is a white dude from i think he's from st albans queens or springfield gardens you know somewhere in south queens and uh, he said that he knows black people more than any candidate in history because there are black people uh, on the bus that he takes to work every morning or something like that. Um, okay. Yeah. He ran for New York State Attorney General. He ran for mayor of New York City in 2013. A, a real character. But he does have experience arguing election law cases. So that was a little uh, nerve-wracking. Like, oh, oh, oh he actually has... A, a lawyer here, like, you know, what is, what is this about now? You know, what are they even trying to do? And remember, I don't even really know what their argument is going to be because they never substantiated any facts and never really alleged anything other than this vague sense of you did everything wrong so you should be kicked off the ballot. Um, right. We also knew our stuff was good because it, our operation was run by Andre Bystroff, who has been doing this for 10 or so years and was never challenged uh, before. Like, you know, the, our operation was on point. But 
you know, when you're in court now, you're sitting in court and this experienced legend lawyer, quirky as he may be, shows up, you start to think, well, what's going on here? Like, what, what are they doing? Especially when they don't tell you what they're doing. Like, it's just a weird situation you find yourself in. So right. that all happens. I finally go up to the judge now and I'm with him and, and, and Neil Grimaldi's on the other side. And I immediately object. I say, this is pretty preposterous that we've been sitting here all morning. He just shows up now and, and you know, and, and now he wants to proceed with this frivolous case. We don't even know what it's about. And the and Neil Grimaldi- so wasting your time. Wasting, yeah, wasting our time. Neil Grimaldi requests a full trial. Uh, he wants to, he wants, you know, he doesn't want to to be resolved right then and there. He wants to adjourn this till the next day and have, have a, a full trial o- over this case. Um, that again, we don't even know what it's supposed to be about, you know. So I object. I say this is this is pretty preposterous. Um, and the and the judge asks me, was the lawsuit served? And I said yes. Right. Right. It was mailed to my house and nailed to my door. I know that nailed in mail is a form of personal service. So the judge granted them a trial. We had to come back the next day for a trial. And at this point, I spoke with the campaign and we tried to figure out what we were doing about this because this became more serious than we thought it was going to be. Now there's an actual trial at Supreme Court over this and they've got an experienced legend lawyer running it. So we actually went and we hired uh, a lawyer ourselves. Now I still did most of the groundwork because I prepared all those documents and I had the legal arguments laid out, but I wanted to have someone who was experienced in election law to argue the case on our behalf uh, because who knew now what kind of tricks they were going to try to play. We talked about, People being kicked right. off the ballot, even though they should, you know, they should still be on the ballot over technicalities or you know whatever. I wanted just to be prepared because what a shame it would be if if they actually got us off the ballot this way. So yeah, they also say, by the way, I don't know if you ever heard this expression. You show me a a lawyer who's his own client, and I'll show you a fool. Right. Because now that it's, now that this is a trial, if I'm going to be the lawyer, everything I say is basically testimony. And the other side doesn't have that right. disadvantage. So he's got a lawyer. He can say whatever he wants. He's not halal sheik speaking. He's the lawyer speaking. But if I speak, right. if I misspeak, if I say something that's not exactly precise or you know or whatever, um, it's not just Mike Scowl's lawyer. It's Mike Scowl saying that. And they can come back and say, oh, the candidate himself just, you know what I mean? And so you, it's good to have that extra um, shield if, if you're actually going to be in a trial. Right. All right. So day two now, we go to court. We've got a lawyer. They've got a lawyer, and we immediately move to get this thing dismissed based on the fact that they're still not alleging anything of substance. And how can you defend a case? Like, like what, why are we even there? There's, there's nothing there. There's no there there. Like, you know, what, what is this all about? And I even asked, by the way, I asked Neil Grimaldi uh, the first, that after we were leaving the courthouse uh, the first day, I said, what is, what is this about? And he told, I forgot to mention this, when the judge said, um, why do you want a trial? Like, what, what, what is this trial going to be about? He said, fraud. And that was all he said, right. fraud, right? So when I was leaving the courthouse, I said, what fraud exactly are you alleging here? And uh, he looked at me for a few seconds, didn't really know what to say. And I was standing there, Halal Sheikh was there with him. A couple of people were, were you know, around. And he finally said something like, um, young man, tomorrow when you come to court, uh, I'll have a conversation with you and I'll tell you because everyone deserves to know what's happening to them. Something like that. Like, like so arrogant, like, you know, basically telling me that I'm, I'm being screwed here. You know what I mean? Right. So 
he didn't really know what he was getting himself into uh, either. I think he thought he was just going to bully his way uh, into this. He was going to bully us out of the, the race, basically. So right. day two comes. We're there. We try to get this thing dismissed because they still haven't substantiated what fraud they're alleging. And they've got to have a bill of particulars. They're, you know, it's not good enough for them to just say fraud. They've got to actually so present. What, some, what was the ultimate? Right. What is the allegation? What, was, what, what do you was actually the charge? Right. What were the, and we and that's what we were trying to get out of them. We were saying, look, if the, if there's no actual allegation here, this thing needs to be dismissed immediately. You're just wasting everyone's time. And they kept using like delay tactics. Uh, first, they delayed to get the affidavit of of service produced. Um, then, so so that was like in the background. But then the judge was like, okay, so you still have to have to give us a bill of particulars. And and then they like. They hand wrote one, and it was so sloppy. The student really have any anything on it, and we looked at it, and we, again we objected to it. Like you know, what what is, what is this? This is nothing. You're still not saying anything here. So finally, it was like pulling teeth. Finally, the judge uh, said, "Look, you, you need you need to say what exactly uh, are you attacking them for? You know, what 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 is your line of of attack here? What, what are you pursuing?" And he finally said that. If you look at a petition sheet, it's the, the dates on the sheet on all the signatures are in the same handwriting, and therefore each person didn't sign, you know, didn't fill out the date. The date was filled out by the same person. Okay. Right? And yeah, so that was our response. Okay. And I immediately went and I pulled up the section of the election law. Now, now I'm not actually uh, in the well. So, you know, the judge, you know, the judge is on the bench and my lawyer is there. Neil Grimaldi is there in the well. And I'm sitting like in the audience of the courtroom. But I'm still you know, my, working behind the scenes because I'm still a lawyer and I'm still involved in this. Right. So I, I pulled and we recessed for lunch. Eventually, I'm like in a law library with the lawyer and, and we pull up the um, section of the election law that says that the only thing that. Uh, the person signing the petition has to do is sign their name. Everything else can be filled out by the witness, you know, the person who's actually carrying the petition on our behalf. Right. So we... But basically it yeah. sounds like they just wanted to um, take time away from you campaigning. Right. Right. And um, tie you up in whatever they were, whatever game they were playing so that, um, you know, they could just take time away from you being in the street right right that's exactly it and make us spend our, our time and money defending this bogus lawsuit so right we uh you know we cite this section of the election law to the judge and the judge says well, that's exactly right as far as i understand as long as the person signs their name that's it and the judge, she says i'm not interested in who who wrote the date i'm just interested in who signed the signature and then unbelievably they change their argument and they say well, that's not what we meant. Uh, we didn't mean that. We meant that the signatures couldn't have possibly be, been collected on the dates specified. Huh? That wasn't part of the argument originally. And where did they get that from? And again, nothing to substantiate that. A ridiculous allegation. Uh, and I, I'm sitting here like, why is the judge even entertaining this? Like, the, And that, that's, yeah. that's my question. Like, why... Why isn't the judge be like, okay, look, just get out of my court? <laughs> exactly. And the judge was losing her patience. I think she was trying to be fair, like trying to hear them out. But, right. you know, still, it's like at, at a certain point, when do you say this is ridiculous? This is obviously a bogus lawsuit. Um, right. 
So this is what they wanted to do. They wanted to subpoena. They wanted the court to call in all of the people who carried our petitions, all of our witnesses. And they wanted to put them all on a stand and question them about their petitioning practices, the dates they collected the signatures, and I guess try to get someone to say something that sounded inconsistent to try to then, you know, impeach them or uh, uh, prove some kind of fraud. It was almost like they didn't have any fraud, but they thought maybe if they put everyone on the stand, they can find something or make it sound like something fishy was going on. Right. And what a waste of time that is. And I was sitting there thinking, how can you allow all of our witnesses to be subpoenaed into court to have to sit on the stand and explain themselves when you still haven't alleged anything of substance here? You're just grasping for straws. Right. You know what I mean? And you're going to waste not, not, now, now not just my time and the campaign's time but and the court's time, but all of the people who petitioned for us. You're going to waste their time. You can make them take off work to come in for this ridiculous stuff now too. You know what I mean? Like where do you draw the line? And this, this, So – the court refused to call them in, but said, you know, you can, you know, basically if you want to get the witness yourself, you've got to go get them. And so they did. Now, here's something else that they did. The process server, their process server, who allegedly served the lawsuit, was uh, going to be put on the stand by us um, about the way they served the lawsuit because it turns out that they said in their papers that service was to be completed in person and by nail and mail and it wasn't completed in person it was only completed by nail and mail now if they put the word or in there they actually would have been okay right but because they put the word and they were then obligated to to serve the lawsuit in person which they didn't do and so they had to produce an affidavit of service uh which which uh, is, is a document where they say that, you know, the process server swears that they actually served this lawsuit. And they say, you know, at this time I saw this person, this is what he looked like. This is his height. You know, they, they describe the physical characteristics of the person. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a legal document saying that the service was completed in person. So they ended up forging their affidavit of service. And we were going to put, the process server on the stand about this. On the second day, he excused himself. He said, oh, he has a stomach ache or something like that. He had to go home early. And so while he went home early, we had to sit through this other line of questioning about fraud and the dates and this other stuff that didn't make any sense. So Hmm. while this guy excused himself, the process server, to go home early, he was actually, you know, he said he was going to the doctor or the hospital to to take care of his ailment or whatever. Instead of that, he was actually going to our petitioners' homes and serving them papers to come to court to testify the next day. Uh-huh. So two of them, two of our witnesses had to come into court the next day. So now we're on the third day because they uh, asked to adjourn. It wasn't just a process servant. It was the lawyer who all of a sudden, he had a high blood pressure. Or he, you know, All of a sudden, he had a, a sickness too. So in a matter of minutes, the process server and their lawyer both got sick and asked to adjourn to the next day to make us go to day three. Um, so this is just games all around. Yeah, yeah. And it's abuse of the legal system, right? So right. we get to day three. Now, two of our... Petitioners are sitting in the courtroom 
ready to testify because they were actually, <laughs> you know, uh, their process server and, and their people actually went to their homes to serve them papers to come to court. And they were going to be put on the stand and questioned about their petitioning practices, which were allegedly fraudulent, and they still didn't substantiate that in any way, except the only thing they, they were saying at this point was uh, the signatures could not have been collected on the dates that they said they were. And that was like such a blanket, empty statement. With and it's nothing like it's not even like anything was fishy about it. It wasn't like, like on this day we had five thousand signatures. You know, it was it was very standard. You know, what I mean, like there was nothing out of the ordinary about what we were doing. So, so day three, two of our witnesses are there. We're getting ready to start again, and I'm gonna. I'm going to tell you exactly uh, verbatim what my lawyer said to me because he had a conversation in the hallway. He was taking a little bit of time to come in. He uh, apparently was talking to uh, their process server in the hallway. He comes in. I'm, right. I'm sitting in the courtroom. He comes in, and this is word for word what he said to me. He said, you're not going to believe this shit. And I'm wow. thinking, what now? I mean, this is such a circus already. I had no idea where this was going. And he told me, their process server just admitted to forging the affidavit of service. Admitted that he never served the lawsuit. In court? Well, he, he, he admitted this to, to my lawyer outside the courtroom. Hmm. So my lawyer then said, well, then we're going to have to tell the judge, and this case is going to have to be uh, thrown out. And right. they agreed. Now, Neil Grimaldi, meanwhile, comes up to me, and he says to me, and again, this is off the record. This is not, you know, I'm sitting in the audience in the court. This is not before the judge. But he comes over to me and he says, uh, were you served the lawsuit in person? And I said, no. And he said, and he whispered. He said, I believe you. He's like, but the problem is my client has issue because the first day in court, you said that you were served the lawsuit in person. And I said, I didn't say that. I said, go back, look at the transcript. You can get the transcript. I said the lawsuit was served via nail and mail. It was never served to me in person. And right. he's like, well, well, maybe there was misunderstanding. Uh, you know, they heard they heard something else, or you know. But basically, like they were hung up on the fact that on the first day I said the lawsuit was served, and therefore they didn't think they should have to uh, prove that it really was, and this whole affidavit of service was irrelevant. And that you know, basically, we should just be talking about this fraud stuff and not the service of the lawsuit. Um, right. But I told him, no, I said, straight up, go and read the transcript. I never said I was served a person because I wasn't. I was never served in person. And we were going to put their process server on the stand, and he was going to have to perjure himself if he was going to sit there and say that he did serve the lawsuit. And he didn't want to do that. And so he admitted privately that uh, this whole thing was forged and the lawsuit was never served. So, so yeah. Go ahead. So the, did anything happen to the person that forged it? Well, they ended up having uh, agreeing to have a uh, a conference before the judge, and what was discussed at that point was off the record. But you can see the judge shaking her head in disgust, like this is you know this is disgusting what, what you guys did. And I told my lawyer, make sure that the judge doesn't throw this case out. Make sure instead that they voluntarily dismiss the case meaning Halal Sheik dismisses the case voluntarily. And you know why I wanted that to be the case? Why? Because I didn't want them to appeal. If right. the judge throws the lawsuit out, 
they can then file an appeal to a higher court and make us go through this all over again. And we knew that there was no merit to what they were doing. All they were trying to do was delay and make us spend our time and money fighting it. So in my mind, they might have done that. You know, even if the judge threw it out because of a forged affidavit, you know, who who knows? I, I didn't put it past them to do that. So, right. Well, yeah, they they put everybody through all of this at this to this point. You want to cover your bases, right? So I made sure to tell my lawyer, make sure that they voluntarily d- withdraw the case. And so after the conference that they had with the judge, you know, the the session resumed, and. Uh, Neil Grimaldi makes a speech about there was a misunderstanding. Uh, he tries to play it off as, you know, like it, it wasn't a forgery that you know, they, they screwed up somehow. It was a mistake. And he says, uh, we, we acknowledged there was a problem with the way this lawsuit was served. Um, and then he looked to Halal Sheikh, who's sitting in the audience as well. And he says, do, you know, do I have permission to withdraw the case? And Halal Sheikh puts his finger in the air, like, and like, Nas, like, like, you know, yeah, uh, like he, he knows he's, he's done at this point. And so uh, he says, we, we request to withdraw this case. And the judge says, uh, you know, case is withdrawn. And that's it. Uh, we, we all go home. Now, William Ruiz is sitting there. Uh, and, and he actually kind of became friendly with us during this whole thing because he was also being sued. But they just happened to hear our case before his. So, right. Uh, but the same exact thing happened in his where they also didn't serve him in person but they said that they did and so immediately after they withdrew their case against us uh his his case lasted all of 10 seconds because he had to get up there and they said the same exact thing we were we request to withdraw our case against mr ruiz as well request uh granted you, you know he was done so he didn't have to do anything he just he just kind of rode our coattails because we had we, you know, we, we went through uh what we did to get to that point but uh at the same time right. we were sitting there with him and our lawyer was giving Ruiz some tips and we were saying, hey, like when it's your turn to go up there, you cite this case. Like, like you know, you heard the case we just cited. Make sure you cite that too because we didn't want him to get thrown off the ballot unfairly either. I mean, you know, this this is right. nonsense what this guy was doing. And, and it was, at this point, it was us and uh, Ruiz against Halal Sheikh who was pursuing this. He did raise, I guess, a, a lot of money and he had the resources uh, to do it. He figured he can hire a lawyer make us hire a lawyer. He comes out ahead because he had raised more money than us. Yet, uh, what he's right. doing is is unethical, and uh, and maybe even more than that. I yeah. mean, I I was talking about uh, suing him for bringing you know a frivolous case uh, and, and falsely accusing me of crime. Fraud is a crime, and it wasn't a criminal case, but he was accusing me of criminal behavior. You know what I mean? And with nothing to back it right. up. Um, that's to, and to me, that's again, you don't chalk that up to just campaigning. I think this is the kind of thing that. Uh, should not be a part of our political system, and we need to, to fight back against it. Yes, if someone does commit fraud, uh, if someone doesn't have the signatures, fine. But you don't do it just to make them spend their money, and and you know you go as far as falsely accusing them of crimes to try and knock them off the ballot. You know, and with nothing to su- substantiate it. And actually, you're the one committing crimes. You know, you, you, your side has forgery, and you know, and, and and you're the plaintiff. You're accusing us now. I mean, come on. Yeah. And not just that, you're also you're also tying up the courts at the same yeah, time. Yeah, absolutely. Like there, there are other things that could be going on that that require the the judge's time, the court's time, and you know this is just they're just using the court system um, for some sort of a tool. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I'm sitting there with Ruiz, and uh, he says, "This guy is crying over there." We we take a look, and Halal Sheikh actually is holding back tears. Um, 
I don't know why. I mean, I, you know, because because he lost the case, I guess. But I don't know if he was also thinking like this was my best chance at winning the Democratic nomination, suing my way into it. Because uh, when that line of attack failed, all three of us were on the ballot, and uh, you know we got forty four percent to his thirty percent. So that was right. the end of of Halal Sheikh in twenty seventeen. Right. So yeah, I mean, it's it's there are things like that that just need to be you know uh removed from the uh system or not be allowed like when it's obvious that it's just a game it's obvious there's no real um point behind it other than to tie up the court or other than to um just spend money for no reason it's it's ridiculous yeah yeah and this is something that happens a lot especially in new york politics and a lot of times these efforts are successful. People are thrown off the ballot. Now, a lot of times these candidates uh, don't really do their jobs. You know, if there's a certain number of signatures that they need, maybe they'll go just a little bit above that and it's easy to invalidate several of them to get them below the threshold. So, like, you really need to get, like, at least three times as many. But, you know, if you're doing your job and you're doing it right and you actually do have the signatures, you should make the ballot. And this shouldn't be just a, a tool sure. that, that is used to kick off, uh, you know, insurgents or whomever. Right, right. Um, you know, democracy works well when there are a lot of people that voters can choose from. You know, and people should should be able to make the ballot if they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. Right. So we wanted to have a fair primary. We wanted to have an election contested on the issues. And eventually we got right. to have that. And it was a three-way race. And in fact, uh, Andre, our campaign manager, compared it to wrestling. He was like, this is like um, wrestling. Halal Sheik is the heel. Uh, basically, he, he made himself the bad guy of this campaign. And he gave uh, people someone to, to root for, like, you know, to get them emotionally invested in the outcome. But because it was, you know, up to that point, it was pretty uneventful. And this made it a story. This made, uh, this made people... Uh, pay attention and and uh, have a hero, so to speak, <laughs> have, have a horse in the race, right. you know, if you will. Right, and he there was some things that that were questionable that um, I found um, that happened on election day as well. That's right, because you were there on primary day uh, on our behalf. Right. So what did, what did you see? Uh well, at at the place where I was at, um, it was fine. But remember, there were. Uh, one of our poll watchers had um, noticed that Eric Ulrich was at the poll with a poll watcher badge yeah. in a race that he wasn't right. even in. That was PS64. This was the Democratic Park. Yeah, this is the Dem- Democratic primary, and he was there as a poll watcher. And you know, for people who don't know, you can't be a poll watcher unless you get um, you know credentials from uh, a valid campaign. And so the only three campaigns were going on were were ours, um, Ruiz and Sheik's. Right. So for him to be in there, you know, Ruiz didn't do it. We didn't do it. He had to be there on behalf of Halal Sheik in the Democratic primary, which was very strange. Right. Now, even before this. And he didn't have a primary no. that day. So there was really no reason for him to be well, out there. Well, OK, so so a few things on that point. Before the primary, this is kind of at the very beginning of the campaign season, Eric did a fundraiser, and uh, a few people attended 
who were friends of ours and kind of reported back uh, to us what was going on. And right. Eric apparently said, uh, there's a guy named Mitch, Mitch Scala, I think. Uh, he's running and he's trying to sell a unicorn farm about the Queen's Rail. It's never going to happen, but that's like what he's doing. And uh, ha, 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 he knows who I am every time he sees me. Hi, Mike, how you doing? But, you know, he gives a speech. I think, I think his name is Mitch something. He's trying to, like, downplay me. Um, all right, so he did that. Right. But then he brought up Halal Sheik, apparently. And <laughs> he said, uh, there's also a guy named Halal Sheik. Very nice guy. Oh, yeah, he seems like a great guy. I hope he has his time just, you know, after my time, you know, something to that effect. Um, so even huh. even at that point, I got the sense that he was trying to kiss up to Halal Sheik. Um because he wanted to try to tap into the South Asian uh, voting bloc after the primary. And so I right. sensed some collusion uh, between them, even at the start of the campaign. Now, right. on this night, uh, primary night, one of our poll watchers uh, was new to doing this. You know, he had never uh, collected the, the numbers. The way this works is after the polls close at 9 p.m., if you have a poll watching certificate from one of the campaigns, you're allowed to uh, be at the polling site when they you know they close it up. They take the uh, the votes out of the machine, so to speak, and uh, you can tally you know how many votes uh, each candidate got. So it's 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 an early way to report back on which candidate uh, got you know how many votes at each site. So. Our poll watcher was new to this, and uh, he asked Eric Ulrich. Well, it was a oh, everything got right over there. Fell or something. Uh, I don't know what that's all about, but um, anyway, our poll watcher was at this site, and he asked uh, Eric, who was you know mysteriously there, for help. Uh, you know, he's like, you know, how, you know, how do you read these numbers? How do you report these numbers? It's a little complicated. And Eric was like, oh, no problem. Um, you know. Which campaign are you with? And he's like, I'm with Mike Scholl's campaign. So, oh, cool, cool. So this is how you do it. And apparently Eric showed our guy how to report the numbers. Um, hmm. And our guy didn't really find it necessarily suspicious, but he just told us about it. And then we said, right. well, why was he even there in the first place? What is going on with that? So right. the thing that was really odd, though, was the result at that particular school. And this was an election where turnout had decreased throughout the entire district, yet at that one school, it shot up by an obscene amount. And I don't have the whole numbers in front of me, but it was something like, you know, 560-something votes for Halal Sheikh to 30-something votes for us. And, you know, like, how did this happen? It was such an anomaly compared to everything else that was going on in the district. Now, you could maybe make the uh, argument that this is where a lot of the South Asian uh, base was. Maybe these were the votes that he was able to successfully target. That's possible, but that also wasn't the only polling site uh, that had a large South Asian population. So why was it just at that one school, not the others? You know, there there, there are still questions to ask about that. And also, why was Eric Ulrich at that one school? Um, That was also a school Mm. (laughs) in the general election. We called it Geronimo. It was like codename Geronimo. We wanted to keep a close eye on that school because of the discrepancies uh, during the primary. So we had extra lawyers there. We had extra attention on that school. And it turned out that nothing irregular happened uh, in the general election. We won the general election there uh, pretty handily. Uh, but a school that was like a neighboring school had a spike uh, for Eric. So I don't, I don't know if they were shenanigans, like if they knew that we'd be watching that one and they moved it over like the next one. Or or maybe it just was, uh, you know, just uh, this freak thing that happened. I don't know, but it did look kind of suspicious. Yeah. 
Yeah, it is. It is pretty suspicious. Um, that that yeah didn't really sit well with me. There was also um, uh, one of the other uh, poll watchers was kind of threatened. Not poll watchers. Um, uh, one of our guys was kind of threatened by the the halal sheikh people on that on election day. You might have heard more about that than me. Um, yeah, it was just you know, it was uh, kind of a. Uh, Telling them like you know, you guys don't have a chance. You're lost. But the the way that they said it um, made the person kind of nervous. Hmm. You know? Yeah, I heard something like, and some someone told them, "We've got more money than you. Uh, you're gonna lose. I don't even know why you're out here. Like, why are you bothering? Go home." You know, something like like they were taunting them. Yeah, um, right. Which is funny because we spent. I think about 55,000 or somewhere in that range on the primary to their, what, 150,000. Like, we, we were basically all spent three to one by Al-Ashik, uh, and we still won. So it's not always about who has the most money. We certainly out-campaign them. But right. uh, to your earlier point about Eric not having a reason to be there, um, you know, I, I, I can see him wanting to see how the Democrats did at each location. You know, my curiosity was why was he at that school in Ozone Park, especially given the the weird result there. Um, but again, it could be, it could be just him knowing that this could be a close race, and if he's got this uh, alliance in the making with Halal Sheikh, uh, he wants to see what kind of margins he can get out of the South Asian community. Like, you know, how many South Asians is Halal Sheikh able to drive to the polls that he can then capitalize on in the general to perhaps make up whatever difference he needs later on? Uh, yeah, it's possible. Um, it's just, yeah, just, it's just odd all the way around. Yeah, I it, it all seemed uh, a, a little odd. Uh, but again, the point that uh, you know, I was trying to drive home with this whole episode was, again, what's acceptable, what's not. What are we going to tolerate as voters and as uh, concerned citizens, uh, people who participate in democracy here? Uh, right. When someone stoops to this level, do we validate them? Because I know Halal Sheikh is going to want to run again, but I don't think people should forget that this was a tactic that he used sure. uh, this past year. Yeah, because this wasn't his first race. No, he ran in Brooklyn for the assembly prior. Then he moved to Queens, or he ran in Queens last year. Right, right. So yeah, most likely he will run again. Um, but yeah, these type of tactics, um, it just are, are bad for the system all around. And I think, I mean, these things, the the people, the voters don't necessarily see these, but that type of um, nastiness spills out uh, into into the atmosphere and the voters do feel that they don't you know people are kind of fed up with how the system is is being going uh been conducting itself yeah and we made a point to make sure that this made its way into the papers and our lawyer in fact said why are you doing that like why are you giving this guy any airtime at all you're the favorite you know scala is the favorite to win this primary why even mention Halal Sheikh. Um, But we wanted to call attention to it because we thought it was a a, a low blow, so to speak. We didn't think that that was something that should go unchecked. And uh, we also wanted to make sure people had a reason to vote 
right? Because this was something that was done. Right. And, uh, you know, like you said, the court's resources were tied up. But we were all tied up unnecessarily. This is all very serious stuff that happened. And we didn't want to just let it go by and say, okay, um, you know, no, no one will find out about this. Now let's get to the real campaign. They made that the campaign. They set the tone of the campaign by doing that. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, it's 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 really crazy, you know, and uh, hopefully things can get better or do get better. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think about reforms, what can be done from a, a legal perspective. Uh, interestingly, my attorney said in all his years, and he's kind of a, an older man at this point, he said in all his years uh, doing election law cases, uh, n- never has he seen a frivolous uh, claim uh, successfully pursued. In other words, you know, for me to then come back and sue him for attorney's fees and, you know, for wasting my time for falsely accusing me, uh, he said that that's never been successfully done because uh, basically the the courts do just chalk it up to politics. It's, you know, they, they, they're, they're cynical enough to believe this is just what happens. And, yeah, it's, it's kind of a, 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 a low maneuver that sometimes people use, but uh, they don't go as far as uh, classifying these things as frivolous when I think that they might want to start looking at doing that. I, I think so too. Like, um, I think it's a problem that um, everyone's just that complacent with um, these type of things being done in campaigns just to say, oh, well, it's just a part of politics when, you know, yeah, when it's just frivolous and it's nonsense, wastes time, wastes resources, wastes voters' money, it wastes you know the court. It clogs up the court system. It's just you know it's unnecessary. Yeah, and then you know because I've argued cases in Queens uh, court myself. You try to get a trial date uh, for Queens, and it's like three years from now or something ridiculous. Uh, well, why is that? Because the system is so backlogged with all these ridiculous matters that shouldn't be there in the first place. Right. So, yeah, it's another thing that needs to be to be dealt with. I, I mean, I don't think that's I, I don't know if there's any way to like litigate that, but it's more of, um, you know, not accepting it, accepting that this is just part part and parcel for the, the territory. Right. Right. Like, well, I think that's certainly part of it. But I do think it can be litigated because normally if someone brings a frivolous lawsuit against you, you can file a claim against them for your attorney's fees and there's an all action for for doing that um you know also if someone you know falsely accuses you it's you know these are you know tortious actions these are actionable uh things that you can pursue uh, it's just that in the context of election law uh they're not granted you know it's just viewed as as part of the political process um so i you know i, I do think that we should consider granting attorney's fees and, and having courts call these cases frivolous. I mean, that judge should have said, no, you know what? This is a frivolous lawsuit. I'm going to actually award scholars campaign damages for this. But, you know, but, but that doesn't happen. Right. Well, maybe even not, even if it's not, you know, necessarily for like uh, monetary damages or, or what have you, but, um, you know, just throw the cases out. You know, yeah, have less tolerance. Like, yeah. You know, or you know, whoever brings those those um, cases, they have to cover the the fees for the party that um, they're going after. Yeah, well, again, that's part of the whole frivolous, uh, you know, lawsuit. Yeah. But um, 
like I said, I, I wanted to because I didn't want to have to pay those attorney's fees. But my attorney said that, that that's just not awarded in these types of cases. So, Right. So. Oh, well, that's uh, pretty, pretty out there. And I think it all leads to the, what has people very much um, unhappy with uh, the political system that, that's currently been, uh, how the political system is currently being practiced. I think so, too. I mean, and there were voters who came to us and said, well, what are the consequences now? Now that he did this, this is crazy. What happens now? Right. And all I can say was... He'll be summarily rejected at the polls. Um, but aside from that, what are the consequences? It's just the voters have to say we're not going to accept this. And in New York right. City in particular, voters are so accustomed to this that this adds to the perception that the game is rigged. And right. you know the parties, the, the institutions, whoever, just decide – who's going to be the winner before the election happens. And this is one of the ways they do it. If you're not the chosen candidate, you're not the anointed one, you get thrown off the ballot. And it's a shame right. that that's the way our system operates. Right. So we need to uh, take steps to to not accept that type of behavior from candidates. Right. And again, those so. listening, please give us your thoughts on this we want everyone to be involved in the discussion yes sir and once again happy new year yeah Yeah. happy new year to you happy new year to everyone hopefully our political system won't be as miserable this year as it was last year oh boy (laughs) that's another that's that's another discussion so with that i think all right pretty much wrap this one up here all right this has been the best podcast ever it certainly has i'm jaylon carter i'm mike scholar